Welcome to Salem First Assembly Podcast. May this week's message by Pastor Brian D. Corkin be a blessing to your life in helping you to grow in your understanding of God's Word, strengthen your faith, and equip you to become all that God has created you to be. Good morning. How are you? How many are hot? Raise your hand. Okay, let me encourage you right now. I know a place hotter. How many are cold? How many are cold? I know a place warmer. <laughs> We're going to continue in First Peter. And uh, First Peter, I don't know about you, but it's a great book. It's a really great book. I really enjoy, I think chapter one has been so encouragement because it's really talking to people who need to be encouraged. And as we're trying to encourage, how many like to be encouraged? Raise your hand. Yeah, God's created you that way. Uh, that's, that's the bottom line. We all need courage. No person is an island. And if you think you're an island and you don't need this and I don't need this and da-da-da, well, you're really lying to yourself because everybody needs somebody. Everybody needs somebody. Oh, you sound wonderful. <laughs> so we've been in First Peter and um, we've been talking about all kinds of stuff. So it started out in the very beginning where... you. We weren't the books talking to. We're talking about people who are living in strange lands. They're in Asia Minor, modern day Turkey. They're under persecution. Um, and so this letter is to encourage them. And they're going through some really hardships. And in the process, some of the things that the Spirit of God has reminded them that is that they have a great hope and they have a new birth and a living hope and, and they have an inheritance. And yet, the inheritance never perish, spoils, or fades. It's kept in heaven for you. Someone say, for me. I mean, that God has the extra. God has extra. You, you haven't seen nothing yet. And it goes on to, to let us know that, that we are to rejoice. And even though we go through trials and tribulations, we can remember everything that God has promised us. Because you have to remember what God has promised you in the midst of a trial. Because of what you see in a trial. What do you see in a trial? The trial. What do you feel in a trial? The pain. But... What the Spirit of God is doing is encouraging them in the midst. And so we've gone all the way up to verse 21. Today we're going to look at verse 22. Now, honestly, I don't know how this happens to me, but I wanted to get five verses done today. And as I start putting it together, um, I got one today. <laughs> I, I started out with five. I really did. Let me tell you a story, true story. And this is where we're going today. Because um, when we look at the message today about living in to be uh, sincere and and fervent love, how do you live in living in? How do you live in that? You know, living in it is something really powerful. And we know about love, but what is fervent love? What is what is sincere love? Because after everything that has been said, now the essence of a very powerful portion, I think I want to just, just remind all of us, and this is really a reminder aspect journey that we've been on, but let me remind you of this, because there are so many people in the world like this. There was a little four-year-old African girl who had been sold as a slave, true story. She had never known what it was to be loved, didn't know what love was. Her name was Kiyodai, and it really meant, listen to what it meant, nobody loves me. 
How would you like that? Mm. Well, when she was about 10 years old, she was covered with sores all over her body. Matter of fact, her own tribe didn't even want her and kind of cast her off. But some missionaries came and they saw Kiodai and she said, nobody loves me. And the missionary started to share the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Said, no, no, Jesus does love you. But she didn't know what love was. She heard a lot of things about love. But then, then the missionary started to clothe her. The missionary washed her. The missionaries bandaged up her sores and really started to pay attention to Kiodai. And so all of a sudden, one day, she looks down and she's clean. She got clean clothes on. She, her bandages is covered. And she says this. She has this illumination. And then she says, is this what love looks like? And while she's talking to herself, the missionary heard her words and said, yes, that's what love looks like. Because we love you, we do. Jesus loved us and he did when I look at that story or when I first read that story and I, I I just started to say you know what Lord and then I started studying this and it all came together and and then I started to say what does love look like what does fervent love look like what does sincere love look like no, I mean I mean I want you to picture this because picture the, the your brothers and sisters back then or even today they're in Asia Minor going through hardship and you watch when you see the verse because it's really interesting because we all have to learn lessons look at your neighbor and say I'm, I'm gonna learn a lesson today but what does love look like and then what does it look like to you because love to you may look different than love to someone else okay what you think love is to you someone else may have a little different definition so when you have that picture, picture what love looks like. Right now, in your mind, I want you to picture, and I know you're going to use Jesus Christ, and I agree with you 100%, and I did too, but pick something else than that for a moment, just for a moment. I want you to say, what people are there in your picture? What actions are being done in your picture? What experience have you gone through that I went through this experience and I saw love in action by the way, da-da-da-da, or the what I experienced, da-da-da-da, or when they made me feel, da-da-da. See, this is important because love is exhibited in actions. Love is shown in kindness and given, and that's what Jesus Christ has done for us. We are such blessed. And when, 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 when we realize how much God loves us, when we really, really, not just talk about love and not just spell it out, L-O-V-E, or make a little statue in Philadelphia with Big Joan, L-O-V-E, and take pictures next to it and get a great picture of love. But, but what does love really look like? Because this is where we're finally at in verse 22 in the narrative, in the story. Let's look at. See, see, look, just, I, didn't, I didn't correct you, but here's, here's the truth. See, this is what I was going to attempt, 22 to 25. Um, I didn't get there. See, I just a proof. I started out with those intentions, so bear with me. Now that you have purified yourself by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another fervently or deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not perishable seed, but imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. 
Now, I want you to understand this before we get to this, because all this sincere love for your brothers and love for one another. This is this is this is description of really how we are to love. So before I jump into this, I want to take a little rabbit trail because I feel like sometimes there's two words here that just jumped out of me while studying it. And the first one was purified and the other two really was fervency or deeply love or sincere, all of those kind of put together. So let me take a journey a little bit, first of all, and let's talk about now that you have been purified yourself, now that you have purified yourself. And you say, wait a minute, I purified myself. Yes, you have. You have volition. You have choice of how you do the right thing to purify yourself because Jesus has purified you already. Understand? So Jesus has done the work, and then you've got work to do too. But I want to talk about what Jesus has done in his purification. I want to talk a little bit about what the Old Testament and New Testament talks about purification, or the purification rites, or the, or the, the purification um, things that need to be done a little bit in the Old Testament and through the New Testament. Because if we're going to understand love, you have to understand the one who is pure came to us. You can't, listen, you can't love, can anybody love someone who's really, um, you know, how should I say this? Uh, think, of a, think of the worst person in the country. I don't know who you think that person would be. And then I would say, go ahead and befriend them. And you would say to me, what? Befriend that person? Oh, you're smiling now, huh? Because you think, you think it's funny, but it's true. The thing is, sometimes people who don't want nothing to do with you, just, just no one nothing to do with you, those are the ones you've got to pray for. Those are the ones you've got to get a heart for. And so in the Old Testament, we see cleansing commands with water for physical body and for spiritual purity. And it's very important that in the Old Testament, you have purification, one, for the body, then spiritual. It was a spiritual reflection of what was to come. So what they did was point into something greater. Every purification rite, every purification action was always pointing to something greater. That's why God gave it into the Old Testament. But also, there was purification for the body. What do you mean by that? Well, let me explain to you a couple things. And you, as soon as I say this, you go, oh, yeah. Moses washed Aaron and his sons. Did you know Moses washed Aaron and his sons before they became Priests, because the priests had to be washed physically. Did you know, that's in Leviticus, do you know that when your clothes were contaminated or moldy, or if they had disease, they had to be washed with water? That was a rite that was in the Old Testament. Did you know that if you were unclean and you were quarantined outside the city, and then they said, okay, you're, you're, you're clean now, you're no longer full of disease or disease is no longer in your body, then you had to wash yourself and you had to wash your clothes, then you could come back into the community. Well, thought for a second. Why are we doing all this? We understand a lot now, don't we? Why God said certain things about washing and cleansing and purification. There are some things for the body for the sake of health. There is other things for the spiritual body, which is pointing to Christ, which we See, in the New Testament, we're beneficiaries of so much. So in Scripture, this is just a little bit. I'm just giving a, a tag moment here. In Scripture, you have purification for the priest to do the work. Purification for leprosy. Purification even on the Day of Atonement. 
Purification for bodily discharges, purification for all the Levites, purification even if you came in contact with the dead. There was all types of rituals and, and rites to follow in case certain things so you could be clean. So when you go to the New Testament now, we see the same thing taking place. In John chapter 2, it talks about um, Jesus. How many know the first miracle Jesus did? What was it? Everybody remembers that. My dad was so funny. He didn't get saved until the latter days of his life. But he always, when he would pick up his wine or his vodka and orange juice, he would always say, hey, Brian, I'm going to the wedding. I'm going to the wedding. And uh, he used to love that story because, you know, and I said, Dad, you know, the, you know, what happens with drink is people get drunk. And when you get drunk, that's a problem. That's a problem. That's sin. That's a sin. And, um, and because you're no longer in control, saying that's when you do stupid things. That's how you get yourself in trouble, and that's how you invite the enemy into your life. I had a friend of mine, I'll just share this. And if he's watching, he's going to hate me. But he says he loves me. But I remember a friend of mine who got really wasted one day, and he came to me, and he, you know, drunk way too much, and he just, some, you got a happy drunks, and you got mean drunks. That's the, that's the bottom line. And uh, so he's kind of like a, was a happy drunk. And so, but one day, he had, one day he had a moment, and he tore down the neighbor's fence. It must have been about a 40-foot fence. Tore down. Tore it down, man. Because it got in his way, or whatever reason. He got mad. But he's mostly a happy, even a happy drunk can be mean sometimes or uh, do something stupid. And so he comes next day and he sees the fence. He goes, what happened here? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, you're so funny. He says, no, serious, dude. What happened? <laughs> I said, you happened. This is your work from last night. No way. No way. Yeah, way. You see, that's why we shouldn't. Never mind. I just, just. Just took a curve and... <laughs> Nevertheless, Jesus made wine. But what did Jesus make wine out of? Well, it says in John chapter 2, 6, Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind that was used by Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding about 20 to 30 gallons, and Jesus turned, put water in it and turned water into wine. Isn't that pretty cool? I want you to understand that the Jewish people came into a problem with the Pharisees. Oh, I should say Jesus' disciples came into a problem with Pharisees over the purification rites. You find in Matthew chapter 15, 1 and 3, some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the traditions of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. And Jesus replied, why do you break the command of God for the sake of your traditions? This is powerful. You say, Pastor, where are you going with this? Well, Jesus purified us. Everything that's taken place in the Old Testament then now gives us an ability to purify ourselves by the actions of what God has told us to do. We are responsible too. God's already done everything in his court but in this portion of Scripture, he's also challenging us that we need to do our part to make sure we stay pure before God. God's done his part. Let me continue just a little bit more foundational. In Matthew chapter 3, there is another one. with the, un, the, un, the Can I go back for a second to uh, this here? Um, because 
Here's was a tradition, they weren't washing their hands. Now that was a man-made tradition that the Jewish people made up. God never came up with this. They had uh, 613 laws, and a lot of those laws, um, some of those laws, and, and more, were not necessarily God's laws, but they expounded on a lot of these laws. Nevertheless, these laws here, God then says, look what he says at the bottom. He said, why do you, because they ask the question, why are you breaking the law? Well, he says, why do you break the command and the God and the, break the, commit, the command of the Lord God for the sake of your traditions? They believe, they believe that if you ate food with dirty hands, you could invite something evil could go into your body. And they believed that. And so by breaking this law, actually, they saw you as a pagan. Breaking any type of law was very serious. They took the things of God. I want to say this. I'm going to say this. Wouldn't it be cool that we took certain things in our life really serious like that? I mean, you know, look at Paul the Apostle or Peter. Man, they were so strict to about keeping the laws of God. Really, they were dedicated. They, they were. And yet, we, we could use that too. I think God will help me. So let's go on to a little bit here. So in Matthew chapter 13, where it says, Then Jesus came to Galilee and Jordan to be baptized of John, but John tried to deter him from saying, I need to be baptized of you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, Yet, let it be so now, it is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he was went up from the water, and at that moment, Heaven was open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, aligning on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, in whom I am well pleased. Let me just explain what I'm trying to get a point here. Because in the cleansing aspect in the Old Testament is pointing to this very moment of true purification, what Jesus Christ did. Because the righteous one was following the righteous acts in which he put in there, and he himself was following. Did he need to be baptized? No, John definitely needed to be baptized by Jesus. John was a sinner. Jesus was sinless. But yet when God followed the ways in which he did, and today when we look at Romans chapter 6, we see the importance of baptism because the purification act takes place when you accept Jesus as your Savior. He makes you clean. All of the rites in the Old Testament is providing, is pointing to what happens in the New Testament so you could be 100% clean when you go before God. We do baptism today, according to Romans chapter 6, to identify with the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. You know, when you read Romans 6 and it tells you that, uh, let's look at verse one. And verse 1 to 3, like this. Oh, don't you, do you not know that all of us who were baptized unto Jesus Christ were baptized unto his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism unto death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. When This is the greatest thing. When a person comes to the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus purifies them through the blood of the Lamb. Someone say Amen. And if you haven't been baptized, that's the first step. That's the first step in walking in Jesus Christ. That really, if you want to grow spiritually, get baptized. Because that's the first step. Now, you're saved 100%. But that 
act of publicly saying, I'm going to follow Jesus Christ, I'm all in, I'm committed. The, I call it the big C's. I got a message called the big four C's. Those big four C's, if we get them deep in our heart, it changes our life. One is, is this aspect of baptism when you confess and you walk in God's ways and that changes because it's already an act done already in the heart. Then you finally say, you know what, I'm going to follow the Lord and everybody sees it. You know, I'm, I'm all in. Someone say all in. All in. Man. Now watch this. Watch this. First John 1 says this. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. This point here in 1 John is really going all the way back to the Old Testament of what Jesus was, what the Lord was trying to do about purification. Jesus has become, through the blood of the Lord, he has saved us, pure, made us pure, made us able to stand in front of God. If God showed up right now, right now God showed up, how many of you would shatter your teeth a little bit? Just saying. But see, when you've got the blood of Jesus, you're pure. You, God's giving you that. You can come boldly before the throne of God because of relationship. Let me just give you one more. Two more. First Corinthians tells us, since we have been promised, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates the body and spirit, perfecting holiness in the reverence of God. So that's our part. God has got the purification, told us all in the Old Testament, everything that was done was pointing to him. Jesus comes. He even allows John to baptize him so the, that the whole righteous act would be fulfilled, that the righteous one came and ready for ministry. It's also interesting that John the Baptist's mother and father came from the very line of Aaron, the very priests. God does all these little details. He connects all the dots. He always does. Amazes me. But here's a powerful portion of Scripture found in 2 Corinthians, how we need our part to do what we're supposed to do. That's what he's telling the people in Asia Minor. Let me just give you two more, and one of them because it has sentimental meaning to me. Psalms 119 says this. This is a, one of the verses I had my children memorize. All of my kids memorize Psalms 119. And I had them do that. In the early ages, I wanted them to get it in their heart. How can a young man keep his way pure by living according to your word? I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. Praise be to the Lord. Lord, teach me your decrees. Boy, that's a prayer right there. Now, they had to memorize more than that. But why did I have them memorize that? Because... How can a young man, how can a person keep their words pure? I mean, think about it. What are we doing to keep our mind pure? What are, what are we doing to keep our life pure? What are we doing so that we are doing our part to fulfill the portion of Scripture? Where it says, now that you have purified yourself, it's actually saying, now that you're actually walking, now that you're actually doing it, I have something more I want you to do because you're doing this part. You're doing what is right. But just because we do it right doesn't mean we're all totally all done yet, does it? No, watch this part. This is, this is the nuts and bolts of where I like to talk about today. But obeying the truth so that, so that 
you may have sincere love for your brothers. Love one another fervently. Some translations will say deeply. Some translations will say fervently. From the Lord. This is powerful. This is so powerful. I looked at the definition of sincere. And it says a person who is free from pretense or deceit. One who communicates from the heart that the belief and the feelings are true. They're sincere. They're communicating. Now, it could be something you want to hear, something you don't want to hear, but they are sincere in communicating their beliefs or they're communicating their uh, feelings. And then I looked up kind of curiosity. I, I said to myself, Lord, what does that really mean? Before I looked up this word, I said, well, what does that mean? And what sincere means is that they are clear in their distinction of what's important to them. So let love be sincere, true, affectionate, the words of truth deep in the heart with actions. The Greek word for sincere means this. This is what the word sincere in the Greek word means. It means judged in the sunlight. Sincere, judged in the sunlight. The English word is derived from a Latin word, sincerus. And that actually means without wax. And if you don't get the history of it, you kind of miss it. Because in the Romans' time, they didn't have superglue. So they used wax. And so often people would sell things, fix things, or maybe John's doing a car with marble. You don't do marble, but... He's doing marble one day, and he's doing a statue of David, and, um, and he nicks the nose, and the nose falls off. You remember that happening? <laughs> so what they used to do back then is they would use wax and stick the nose back up there. And it looked good. You couldn't tell. They did a good job until the sun hit it. What would happen to the nose? comes off. So what they would do is they would put sinceras on whatever they were selling, meaning no wax. It's a true, legit deal. What you see is what you get. And this is what is really big here, because by obeying the truth so that you may have sincere love, sincere love, ask yourself a question, what does your sincere love look like? Challenge all of us. What does your sincere love look like? Sincerely. <laughs> What does your sincere love look like? Towards others? Towards God? You see, when you look fervency up, it says very enthusiastic when a person is fervent or passionate. Deeply, if your, your translation says deeply, deeply is the same deal. It's, it's something that goes deep to the core of your belief or core of your feelings. It's your deep of your heart expressed when you're sincere about expression. So when it talks about deeply, that's going to the core, to your core. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, how many know what that means, right? How many times you've heard about love? Yeah, we use it in so many different ways, but it's really talking about the giftings. That's what it's really talking about and how love has to be at the essence, essence of everything that we do. When you look at 1 Corinthians 13, and you look at verse 4, 
It says, love is patient, and love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, or it keeps no records of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth, always protects, love always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Now, I want you to get this for a second, because... We all need, I think, all of us in different seasons of life need to evaluate. Say the word evaluate. Yeah, well, let's be honest with ourselves. We need to evaluate our love factor. Evaluate our love factor. Because sometimes life has a habit of just doing all kinds of stuff, and we have to evaluate our sincere love for the brethren, for your brothers and sisters, for people you meet, your love factor. So once again, what does love look like? Ask yourself, look in the mirror. I was going to give a mirror and say, what does love look like? And and then put your face in the mirror. Does love look like you? Ask yourself, do we carry, and this is a challenge for all of us. This is nobody, nobody has to market on this. And if you do, please sell it. Give it away. (laughs) Because, see, if your love is going to be sincere, if your love is going to be fervent and passionate, it has to be seen as whatever you do and everything you do. Because love has to be seen. Because love is not words, but love is... Yeah, we'll all agree. It's action. It doesn't make a difference of what you say. It's, it's actions, if you know me real well. Those who know me real, real well know me and I say a word that comes along with this package, and only those that know me well know me well because of just of where I am. But see, love has to be demonstrated because words are cheap. Words mean I don't have to do nothing with it. So I don't know about you and I, but he's commanding them and helping them, simply just telling them, listen, sincere love Once you obey in the truth, now have sincere love for your brothers. Love them fervently and deeply from the heart, from the core of your being. Even if you're in the struggle, because they're in different struggles, and there were some struggles with the Gentiles, a struggle with the Jews. Now it's changed some things, you know. They had people believing, but they were from different backgrounds. But you know what happens to missionaries when they go on the field? It's amazing. It doesn't care if they're what denomination they are, as long as they believe in Jesus Christ, they come together like crazy. But here, us in the States, we're like, we're like um, the two shall never touch. We're like, like, you know, everybody a bunch of chiefs. When Jesus Christ really is at the center of all things, if, if that believer was the only believer in Jesus Christ and you were in a foreign land, you would make that believer your best friend. Not so here in the States. Lord knows everything has to be perfect and lined up. And the stars have to be lined up before we will sometimes agree with people and come into uh, contact and, and do something good. But let me ask you a question. What does love look like, again? What does it look like to you when you talk about fervency, love, when you talk about sincere love? Where do you fall in the picture? What area of your life that your fervency of love is seen? Now, I'm not just talking about your own family. 
Because I know some of you can love your own family real well, and I know some of you can really fight with your family real well. <laughs> it's on both sides of the fence, right? But how about, how about another brother or sister? Or how about someone else? How do we love? How do we love? It, it's, it's amazing, but John 15 teaches us a little bit. Read this. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. I love this chapter. If you obey my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commandments and remained in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, than he laid down his life for his friends, and you are my friends if you do what I command. I want you to get this portion of Scripture one more time because it says, obeying the truth so that you have sincere, you can't have sincere love unless you're obeying God's truth. And you can't obey God's truth until you know God's truth. That's why you have to be in your Bible. You have to know the author. If, you want to, if, if you've got to read the book, you've got to re- know the author. But if you're not reading the author, how can you obey something that you're not reading about? People tell me all the time, I pray. I'm like, that's good. Or I read, and that's good. But it's more than praying. I, we try to get people to pray or try to get them to read because that's the starting point. But it's more than that. It's relationship. It's following God. It's being obedient. It's being all in. It's being on the plow. It's seeing what God's doing right at the moment with who he's, you're around so you can lavish on them. I take every moment to try to do something in the moment I live, whether wherever I am. Because the moment, wherever you are, you can do something. It doesn't have to be, this is talking about the brothers and the sisters, the, the people of God. I understand that in context, but we can also put that in the worldly context because there's a lot of people like little Kiosha, who doesn't, Kiyote, who doesn't know what love looks like. You know, there's a lot of people out there who don't know what love looks like. Don't, don't understand. Well, they haven't seen it. They haven't experienced it. They don't really know what it is. We shouldn't have trials and struggles and problems and stuff that causes people to come together. But we should really let love always be seen. Jesus said they may know the difference by the love that you have for one another. Love is it always in demonstration of heart, which is demonstration in action. That's the beautiful thing about it. John 15 is beautiful. Jesus ends with that and says, you are my friends if you do what I command. Jesus died for us. We know that. Sometimes I heard someone come up to me one time and said, you know, Pastor, I know all this Christianity stuff. I said, oh, that's great. I'm still learning. Great. Good for you. He says, yeah, yeah, Jesus died for us. We know that. Give me something good. I had everything that stay glued. Give me something good. I almost, I almost had a thought in my mind. I said, hmm, let me give him an analogy. And I thought, can I get in trouble for this? I don't know. But I was, my analogy went through my head. I said, who do you love? And I would hope they say, well, you know, I love someone in my family. And I say, well, um, I'm going to either shoot you or this person in your family. What, what were you going to do? Hopefully they shoot me. That's love. Just to get a picture to the guy's mind. Can you understand what love is? Love can transform your relationship with God. Not just being in church, not just going through the motions, but there's a world dying out there. 
There's so many people who need to have the bonafide understanding of what Jesus Christ and the power of God that can transform them in a second because it just takes one prayer, even in the supermarket. Trust me. God does it in restaurants all the time. The power of God can show up when you just want to be available, but be to the plow. Stop allowing the devil to say, I can't do that. I can't do that. I just, that's not me. I understand that to a point. Everybody's personality is different, but everybody loves. Everybody can display the love. Just as he's telling the people there on Peter, you're obeying the word of God, the word of God now in sincere love, not just, yeah, I love you. <laughs> sure do. But really demonstrate love. Do something that shows sacrificial love. Sometimes, as a preacher, we think I just sometimes it's difficult. But you know, if we catch it, it changes our lives. When we understand what Jesus Christ has really done, and don't be content to a comfortable way of living. Because when things get tough, it's amazing what God does on the interior of our hearts. Love, in this case, changes things. Jesus says, if you love me, you obey my commandments. So I said to myself the other day, I said, Lord, I... Remembered I did something one time, and I said, when you come... Without Jesus, you're empty. Without Jesus. And you can go through life kind of empty, but you can put a big smile. And I was going to put a big smile on here because that's what sometimes we do. We smile, but we're really empty. We're not carrying the goods of God. We're not really carrying the joy of the Lord, which is my strength. We're not, we're not getting in the word of God. We're not really spending time in prayer. We're not really saying, God, you know what? I need help in this area. And then what I have learned, what I have learned, I've learned to go to God. Now, this is not God. <laughs> but I'm going, this is, this is shaving cream in a can. So I go to God, and now I'm the can. I go to God, and God fills me up with his love. And I feel good. I feel so good. <laughs> Right? <laughs> I feel good because I got it in. But it does nothing for the kingdom of God unless it comes out. It comes out. And it's got to keep coming out because this is exactly what it is. If we learn it, you're waiting for it to tumble. I know you are. That's what I. You, you, you got to realize that it, it's, it's, it's love in us, but if love does not come out of us, it's nothing. Absolutely nothing. Did anybody need a shave after service? <laughs> Love's got to come out of our hearts to be touched by others, and we have to be sincere and fervent and be glad. Oh, 
<laughs> this is the pot of fervency of love. <laughs> you see, the beauty, the beauty of love overflows our heart and life. And guess what? Love can be messy. Love can be really messy. Oh, I'm good, sister. I'm good. Oh, my hands smell so manly. You see, what happens is, is that we need to continue, continually be a person who lavishes the love on people because God has filled us up. Man, there's a lot of whipped cream in here. Whipped cream. You see, yeah, here's a beautiful part, right? Here's a beautiful part. God never wants us to put it back in. He wants us to give it out. This is important. With this whipped cream, I'm sorry, because I love whipped cream. <laughs> and I wish it was whipped cream in my mind. So, so in the shaving cream, when I put it on, just what happened? It prevents hurt and chaffing, and I don't get nicked or nothing. When we walk in love, we don't cause harm. It's like brings, life is so much smoother. You know, and even if you do something with love, and you try to, it's not always received in love, but when you do it in love, it's a lot smoother. You see, this is what God, this is lavish. This is what God done for us. It got kind of messy on the cross. But that's what God did, lavish. He sincerely poured out his heart for us. And that's exactly what the Spirit of God, through Peter, is trying to tell them, as well as us, that we are to obey the Word of God. But he says, sincerely and fervently love each other. And don't just put conditions. We put conditions all the time. Hey, did anybody ever know that shaving cream can be great for lathering up and smoothing your skin with alloy? <laughs> That's what God wants from us. It's so, so important that now that you have purified yourself by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for your, of, for your brothers. You see, it's all in the Word of God. You want to be different? You want to think different? You want to live different? Get in the Word of God. Let the Word of God get in you. It's never going to happen any other way. Love one another fervently, deeply, from the heart, for you have been born again, not of perishable seed. God gave you His best. He poured it out for you. How much of your candy are you going to spill out on others? How much, when you die, how much is still going to be in the can of the greatness and the fullness of God's love? How often are you going to take that can and pretend that's you and dish it all out and then God fill me up again so I can do the same tomorrow? Or do we just want to keep the love in us? Do you know the richest place on the face of the earth is? You know the richest place? Cemetery. People have died with dreams in their heart they never fulfilled. 
People have not done things that they've always wanted to do. And people have died with a lot of money in the bank and never done anything good with it. Pass it on to someone else and hopefully they'll do something good with it. And that's just hopefully. It tells us in the scripture here, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. So can I challenge you, if you're not in your word, and I, I pastor, I talk to a lot of people, <laughs> and it's probably only 10% of people sometimes in a congregation that are actually in their word daily. It's a low, low, low. How are you going to know the author if you don't read his book? How will he transform you if you're not having that relationship daily with the transformation? It's so important that you and I recognize what God wants to do in you and through you. You see, there's a powerful portion of Scripture. To, when we talk about what does sincere and fervent love look like, look at our world today. Look at the church of God today. Do you see fervent love? Do you see love that's just... We, we need, all need help. Someone say, we all need help. See, it's not God. God's already lavished on us already. How are you, let me challenge you, what are you doing right now for the kingdom of God that can lavish love on someone? In a form of a person, a form of a ministry. There's many things here, even at this church, that you can put your hands towards. There's many things that need to be started. Many things that need to be done to change the world for Jesus Christ. God has already given you the love. It's in your can. You just have to have the volitional choice to get beyond yourself and squeeze the trigger and do something. Because there are so many in need out there. And when I think of this young little girl, 10 years old, full of sores and nobody wants, has a name that says, no one loves me. There are people that may not have a name that says that, but inside their hearts they haven't seen, don't know what love looks like. And if God has filled your heart with his love, then I pray that you would ask God to do whatever so that your trigger of your heart may be start to spill out on people that come into your path or even new people that just you meet, whether it's you or your brothers and sisters around you. It's huge. Love is life-changing, but you got to stay in there to see what God will do. Got to stay in there to see what God will do because God does his best work. Amen. Can you stand to your feet? Lift your hands to heaven as an act of surrender to God. Our Father, we are so grateful. You have given us your love. You have lavished your love unto us. Beyond our comprehension, God, while we were yet sinners, you gave your best. You gave your all. And Lord, as many are under trials and difficult times, and many don't understand what love is, and maybe that's you. 
Maybe you have a hard time loving yourself. Maybe you just don't feel loved at moments and seasons of life. But God today wants to remind you he loves you. Maybe you're watching online. God loves you. And as you lift your hands today, I want you to feel the embrace of Abba Father. Just coming down to touch you right where you are. To let you know he loves you. But he didn't just love you for you. He loves you that you can live a life of fervency to touch others, to get out of the, the, the place of complacency and comfortableness because growth never takes place when you're comfortable. And God, I pray that the spirit of the living Lord would just speak even right now for those that need to first accept you as Savior, they just would recognize and want this love and just simply say, Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Forgive me. Forgive me. I need this. I need you, Jesus. I, I want purpose. I want, I want the passion for you, God. I need you. And maybe this... Maybe there's a name dropping right now in your heart. Maybe it's a situation. Maybe, maybe this is where you say, okay, God, I want to be squeezed. Squeeze the bottle of my heart that I start to really love and start to love sincerely, fervently, not for my own benefit, that I do not do things for my own, but for the benefit of the kingdom of God. God, I ask this in the name of Jesus. Father, we surrender. May you touch each heart, God, as we surrender to you and really Give them an understanding of the depths of love you have for them. When you say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The love, the sincere love that flew from, flown from that cross that day, oh God, has changed the world. God, we just ask that you would bless each one. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Give God some praise in the house of the Lord. <clears throat> I'm going to just open up the altars if you, I'm going to stay here for a moment if you have a need or a particular thing you want to pray. Or maybe you're struggling with even the love that God has for you. We're going to open the altars. But let me put a blessing upon you. Father, bless your people. As they go their separate ways, oh God, will you strengthen them now as they go forth into the mission field. May they invite, may they share, may they care. And may their love that you have placed in them, may this love flow from them to those that come into their path. And may they see Jesus in them, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we thank you for joining us today. Let's continue to believe that God is going to do a work in all of our lives and in his church, despite our current circumstances. If you would like to support the ministry of Salem First Assembly, you can do so by mailing to 430 Route 45, Salem, New Jersey, 08079, or by visiting our website at salemfirstag.org. Please join us for service next Sunday at 1030 a.m., or you can watch service every Sunday afternoon on Facebook at Salem First Assembly or YouTube at Salem First AG. You can also listen to the message every Tuesday on Podbean. Have a blessed rest of your day. Let's remember to be a blessing and that life is living in faith every day.